Hello and welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. The title race is tightening up after Derek's Dons got dismantled at Ibrox. Time to talk about the state of play at Pataudry. Motherwell are mustering up the biggest challenge to the top two and the man who can't be beaten from the spot, Mark the Goalie Gillespie, joins us later on the podcast. While we're on that, should Osmond So be allowed ever to take a penalty again? And hear ye, hear ye, don't sign for hearts. Hearts, hearts. I'll explain in a little bit. Later on, we'll be running the rule over a resurgent Wraith Rovers. I'm Andrew Slavin, and alongside me in the studio from The Telegraph, he spent most of his week arguing about Aberdeen. It's JJ Bill. Hello, JJ. Hello. There you go. I'm, li- I'm allowing you in this time after you <laughs> accosted me last week. Rightly. Uh, and next to him, uh, he's been to Old Trafford. He's been to Anfield and the Etihad this week. European football journalist, Kieran Canning. But just in England. <laughs> Watching Champions League football. I was at Anfield last night where I um, thought about an idea that could revolutionise Scottish football. I'm interested. Go on. Well, so Red Bull Salzburg were extremely impressive, but they were. barely existed in the... Well, that were rebranded in the 1990s thanks to the money of a local uh, drinks manufacturer. Bringing that to Scottish football, Salzburg is also the fourth biggest city in Austria. What is the fourth biggest city in uh, Scotland? Dundee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying Iron Brew Dundee United. Iron Brew D- they I are Dundee. They don't even need to change the colour of the strip. Yeah. Is it already tangerine? Oh my god. It'd be go IB Dundee. This is what we need to break the uh, the Celtic Rangers uh, grip I on Scottish this. football. IB Dundee sounds quite good off the tongue as well. As does Iron Brew. <gasps> and then Brew Dog by Aberdeen. Yep. I like it. What can Buckfast buy? <laughs> Alpine Rovers. Bucky Rovers. Surely that's a it's team in the... extremely popular in Coatbridge. Come on, businesses. Yeah. Use we... your business degrees and buy a football club. Let's a, a tenuous link to Dundee United. Well, I like it. A very tenuous, but uh, uh, let's do it. Um, Lauren Shankland, that was the big news, called up to the Scotland squad for the very first time. So Steve Clark takes his team to Russia um, before Russia. a game... Russia, <laughs> by Russia, uh, before they face San Marino, who we like to play and struggle against. And you'd think if he's going to get a game, it would be against San Marino. I doubt he'd be dropped in against Russia. Yeah, Because you want someone to hold the ball. Perhaps he'll be absolutely amazing in training. Well, is this is this the point, Bringham in, because as much as Ollie McBurney seems like he would be the main striker for Scotland, he's just not a natural finisher like Shanklin maybe is. But are we saying that Shanklin's actually 25 million quid? Well, if, if, uh, if McBarney didn't cost 20 million pounds, I don't think I'd even consider that he should be the number nine. Like, but who should? That's the problem. I know. I mean, you want Naismith, I think, would be there just because he's the one, but he's injured, obviously. I, I think people have been exceptionally harsh on McBurney based on the Russia home game. Where Oh, I'm going for more than just that, but yeah, I agree. Yeah, but like even like last week when he... Uh, Playing against Liverpool, he did all right. But I think that's the kind of game we're anticipating against Russia, where we're not going to have a lot of the ball. Although we do have a lot of more technical midfielders now, so maybe that will change. But um, yeah, he he has to be the the focal point. And the the problem with the Russia home game was after half an hour, we just left like a huge gap between the midfield and him. So even if he won yeah. the first ball, he couldn't knock it down to anyone or flick it on or like hold it in and lay it off. Shankland 
makes the best out of the opportunities that he gets. But are we saying that are we reduced to a Scottish Championship player? Well, what, is that are we okay I actually with that? I agree with what Clark said in his press conference, and this is pandering a bit, and it doesn't give a lot of confidence to the strikers he does have. But he was basically admitting we don't have a lot of choice in terms of strikers, and the best way for him to judge Shanklin's level is to bring him into the squad, see him in training, see him up close, see how good he is against that level of player in in training. Mm-hmm. And I also think he he could be the kind of player where. Say, hypothetically, because the whole thing is now just looking ahead to the playoffs in March. Say we need a goal, 20 minutes to go. You bring him on for that type of thing, you know, where you think you're going to be putting on the pressure and the ball might drop in the box and he is probably the most natural finisher we have fit and available at the moment. I know potentially Griffiths could come back, Naismith could come back, but he has to look at the options and given this, these qualifiers are, you know, we're not playing for anything anyway. May as well give it a shot. This whole Shetland thing reminds me a bit of like, remember Jordan Rhodes when he used to be like, quite prolific at lower league level and then he yes. came to Scotland and just wasn't quite there. Um, like Kieran's saying, I think it's a good idea to take him in because you don't know what his level is till you see him against the players he should be against. However, the problem is if you're trying to work out what his level is against international defenders and you're defending against like <laughs> Charlie Mulgrew, it's a slight step up <laughs> to who you're going to play against a in the European point. qualifier. So again, point. it's another jump in, in level. Uh, Stephen Naismith was speaking the other night as well, saying how he remembers going from playing lower level to going to this high level, and the jump is massive. And you don't realise it until you see it, uh, and you're involved in it, so you can see what that is. But, like, Shanklin's record is, it's like 13 goals, phenomenal. 7 games it from is, that season? It is phenomenal. He's got 13 goals so far this season. Right, it is 13, yeah. It's, it's twice as many as anybody else. It's actually it's more than twice. But it's a Scottish Championship, and he'll get more chances, more space. He can be more cunning than most of them. And the thing is, you'll have to find that little extra percentage when you're playing against a different team, a, a better team, international team. And if you're not getting the ball anyway, what's he going to do? There's no chances being created for you. What's the... There's no use being there to convert them in the first place. One person who's particularly looking forward to seeing Lauren Shankland is his his old teammate, Andrew Robertson, captain of Scotland, who they used to play together at Queen's Park. And I was just going to say, uh, the other thing I learned from Anfield on top of IB Dundee is uh, Andrew Robertson. He might be the striker solution. Finished what like a, a stunning goal Finished like is. a number nine. That was an amazing goal. Once he starts running, he can't stop. If he stops... The world stops. But it's sort of <laughs> the problem with it is right. This is, I think we've probably got with Scotland as well. Is that he can't do that for Scotland? Yeah, I know. he can't be yeah, doing that because yeah, exactly. he's so important to that little. Slot. I said that last time. You know, we sometimes expect what he does for Liverpool to replicate that for Scotland, but he just needs to be a left back for Scotland. It's weird. Just when, focus well, on like, the basics. Like he saw it um, like, on the, the Champions League game that Liverpool just won against Salzburg when he was charging forward, scored a great goal, which I, I imagine is where this number nine. Yes. Theory comes from a great tapping at the near post, jumping, running oh, right across. No, the no, he took it really well though. And the other thing about oh, that yeah. is, I don't think Stephen O'Donnell's going to be, uh, <laughs> you know, screaming forward to 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 provide the assist. Well, that's the other thing. Liverpool players uh, kind of get revved up by Robertson when he goes flying, and they all start doing the same thing and start copying it, and also start running more, sure. and that pulls them out of position. And the way that Scotland have to play is far more rigid and. Position based. So, what are we saying then for Scotland? Do you think we can get a result in Russia? No. <laughs> Do you think we can get a result against San Marino? Yes. <laughs> You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. It's our field. It was Hedges who got the touch. And Jermaine Defoe makes it five. 
Let's start our preview of the weekend over at Pataudry. And two teams under a bit of pressure. Aberdeen hosting Hibs at 3 o'clock on Saturday. We talked last week about how Aberdeen usually go to Ibrox and try to be conservative. What happened last Saturday? A 5-0 win for Rangers, 27 shots for them. Aberdeen were missing seven players through injury. Derek McInnes said the team were very young and they played that way. Um, he described it as a humiliating experience. JJ, you've been a busy boy on Twitter this week, um, arguing with everyone. I posted uh, one graph. Because of it. I've told you, man, if you start drawing, drawings will get you into trouble. Nah. <laughs> well, yeah, explain your theory the, to me. So people in Aberdeen, there's a lot of discontent with Aberdeen just now, and there's I've got a lot of... I mean, we could do a whole separate podcast sure. on theories for it, right? But a lot of people want McInnes out. They are bored. The football can be brutal at times. Uh, they are fed up with only finishing third. They want someone to come in and take it to the next level and uh, that they should never have lost a heart. They should never have lost that game 5-0 to Rangers. And I, honestly, I think they need to chill the f*** out. <laughs> <laughs> right? Getting gubbed by Rangers for an Aberdeen fan is devastating because Aberdeen have, for the last few years, been finishing second, 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 second. Uh, obviously fourth last year, but that was on goal difference to Killy. So these things happen now and again. McInnes consistently hits his mark. So as Aberdeen manager, he should have been finishing second and then he should have been finishing third. Have their run in the Cups, doing okay in Europe. Yeah, okay, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty disappointing start to the season for Aberdeen. But you say that, you know... But more McInnes, You say McInnes hits his mark. Surely they should be disappointed. They're allowed to be disappointed because when you look at the likes of Rangers, they are a much better team than what they were the past three years. And that's purely because of, you know, a lot of the signatures that, that McInnes has made. So, well, so the, the team isn't as good as it was. Uh, and what, and whose fault is that? Right, well, let's go through this, right? Because uh, this, all to do with money. And the Scottish Premiership was basically ruined in the 90s with money. And Rangers and Celtic pulled away and no one will ever get close to them. Aberdeen have been closest finished in the second all that and, and you can see so the way it should work with like the economics of football is that the team with the highest wage bill should finish top and then second, third, fourth etc Aberdeen were in ninth place before McInnes came in Craig Brown passed over McInnes took them up to the top they had a good team they have lost their best players every single season every single year McInnes has had to rebuild that team mm-hmm. and he's been bringing in players like Kenny McLean impossible to replace look at him he's one of the good midfielders in the Premier League right yeah. now right yeah. at the highest level so Rangers spent when they came up I think it was uh, uh, to get this right I think it was 13 million then 10 million then 3 before they signed Ryan Kent so it's another 10 I think mm-hmm. those numbers might be wrong so sorry Rangers fans I'm getting that just wrong that's about 30 million right plus wages on Jermaine Defoe who I think is on about 120,000 at Bournemouth a week Right, Stephen Davis is definitely on about 80 at Southampton so they're paying wages like that Aberdeen's entire budget for the year per week I think would be about 50 to 60k so straight away the jump between uh, Aberdeen and, and Rangers as two teams would be if we compare like Aberdeen to Spurs right, a team who overperform not overperform but perform where they should be and they've got a decent manager with some decent players and you compare Rangers to like, Liverpool in the Premier League it would be like Rangers signing Ryan Kent for £7 million mm-hmm. the equivalent because Aberdeen signed Funzo Ojo for 125k. That was a big sign in the summer. It would be the equivalent of Spurs signing a winger for three billion pounds. Mm-hmm. That's the equivalent of what it is. And you can't comp- you can't compare. But yet Aberdeen has still been competing with them. And I understand people are frustrated with it. But I just I think McInnes has proven that he knows how to build a team. And this team lost because it was a makeshift, loads of injuries, weak like a weak defence changes everything. 
and your centre backs are Mikey Devlin and Zach Viner. I mean, you can't compete. So, so, so what what would be a dangerous position for McInnes? Because we've we probably are all in agreement that you know he's done a good job at, at Aberdeen with the time that he's been there, winning their first trophy in what twenty odd years it was when he when he won it. Yeah, but you know there comes a point where and everyone can sometimes say it. He's taken the team as far as he can, right? Which might seem a bit of a cliche, but at the same time, if Aberdeen were to finish outside the top six, JJ, do you think maybe the directors in charge maybe well, should six, be considering yeah. considering options? Absolutely, should always be considering options. I'd like to hear what Kieran thinks of this as well. But like, firstly, on that note, and um, whether you should, um, someone else should have a go or would take them to the next level, there is no higher level. You can't finish higher than second. Third is what you get. Cup runs, right? To get to the cup final is you win four games. That's it. Sometimes you lose games or you draw or like the Hearts game. Shea Logan doesn't close down a cross quick enough. They score the header. He goes to penalties and loses out in penalties. It's football. Sometimes you lose games. People get bored and want change. <laughs> They've lost two games in a row. That's it. Uh, that's, I think that's exactly it. I don't think... The only thing I would criticise McInnes on and what you could say he could have done better, I think, is the style of football rather than the results. And I, I think it surprises me sometimes how often managers go for the practical, so as I say, practical football. You know, pragmatic, yeah, I uh, agree, yeah. Because I think, and you know, people say it's a results business and they're living week to week and therefore they have to prioritise results. But I think if you're a manager who plays good football and maybe the results aren't so good or you go through a slightly tricky spell, the fans will give you more leeway because it's still enjoyable to go and watch the game. Mm-hmm. Whereas if, if you're an Aberdeen fan over the past few years and now if you're going through a, a difficult spell of results, if you're not winning, there's no enjoyment there or very little enjoyment there because the enjoyment isn't to be gained in watching your team play. I yeah. think that that's... A, I mean, everything else, I agree with JJ, I think he's done an exceptional job over the time he's been there. He hit the targets, but now it's just whether it's got a bit stale. So, so, so looking at um, their opponents, Hibs, who have went through a difficult period themselves, Paul Heckenbottom, who, you know, oversaw a 1-1 draw at home to Celtic, getting rid of their 100% win record, which is a good result for Hibs, but he's had to go through a torrid time, a torrid amount of, you know, people questioning his ability. We've done it to a degree. Um he did get sent off, though. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not all rosy yet. We, we, uh, we talked highly of Hickenbottom last season. We'll go through this again, but they, they played some nice football. It was enjoyable to watch. They finished nowhere near the top three, four, right? So, th- this is weird thing. And his recruitment this summer has been poor. That's maybe not his fault exactly. It could be the scouting team has suggested these players. That's the ones within their budget. That's the ones they got. And that's what he's put onto the team. But the ones he's brought in, he's kind of left out quite a lot. And you can see the sort of similarities between McInnes and, and Heckenbottom and even like Craig Levine at Hearts at the moment. There's McInnes's like the team against Rangers they put out. But the team that McInnes wants to play, I think, is like a 3-4-3 or 3-5-2. He doesn't even have the players to put on the pitch. One defender makes a big difference. Like Hearts losing Halkett is going to make a big difference to them. Same when they lost Suter, same when they lost Naismith. It's like massive. Where Hibbs, like the players they've got in just aren't doing the business for him. And then you think, well, maybe that style of play isn't the way to do it. Maybe they need to get more rigid just to get wins in. But I'd rather watch nice football. Like It would be nice, but I'd much rather win. People do get bored. Yeah, People do get yeah. bored. Fans get bored of these managers. And when they're bored, they start to show their dissent in the, in the stadiums. But Hibs can't be bored at Hickabottom yet, can they? I think it's I still, early, say, right? still early, right? still early. It's different sides of the coin with Hibs because you can talk about Aberdeen... And McInnes and the stability that's been there and needing a change. But I think if you look at Hibs, it shows you that 
they've just gone through a change of manager about six months ago, mm-hmm. um, maybe slightly longer, and now all the fans are like calling for another one. So I, 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 there is a case with Aberdeen of be careful what you wish for. The problem is, as, as JJ says, it's not going to get better than what it's been over the past few seasons because they had that kind of golden opportunity when Rangers weren't in the league and now they're back and and strong. So. Sure, but then the gap is still too huge. And I think in, in irrelevance to Aberdeen versus Hibs coming up, like a lot of Aberdeen fans have pointed out, well, Aberdeen, would this current team would never get a point off of Celtic. That would never happen. I totally agree. Cause I think Celtic Rangers raise their game against Aberdeen because they've been their rivals for the last few years, right? But Hibs got an, like a lucky own goal. Sound like Steven Gerrard <laughs> <laughs> said that about Aberdeen when they play Rangers. Uh, no, but they've got a lucky, they got a lucky own goal held on Celtic couldn't break them down and Celtic sometimes come up against teams that sit back they got a point which is half decent but it's just a point right in the long scheme of things a far more valuable like win for Hibs would be against Aberdeen that would get a point against Celtic well interestingly enough if we look at last season Aberdeen definitely had the beating of Hibs um, taking 10 points out of a possible 12 against them in the Premiership um, they also knocked them out of the League Cup but we have to move on to elsewhere in Edinburgh on Saturday uh, it's Hearts up against Kilmarnock. Got a quirky stat for you. Uh, these sides met four times last season and every fixture was won by the away side. Wow. That's a quirky stat. <laughs> um, but uh, another another big injury blow for Hearts. You mentioned it. Uh, uh, I think they're going to be playing on. their cleaning staff at, the, at some stage soon. Like, they've got no one left. It's, it's a huge injury blow for Hearts. Craig Halkett, the summer signing from Livingston, definitely one of their best players so far. He's suffered a, a medial knee ligament injury against St Mirren, so he's going to be out for a few months now. He would have been in the Scotland squad as well. I, I, I think so too. Yeah. yeah, definitely. It's a shame for him. This injury list they've got is nuts. I think it's about eight... Players would be in their first team, and and this was a this was a problem of theirs last season as well. It's, I mean, Craig Levine must be. We have done this talk be, every week so far. Yeah, no, Craig Levine must be tearing his hair out. From what I've read, they actually did a study on the pitches that they train on and and everything. Uh, even even the that. even the the training schedules that they have, they they did a big study on it and they couldn't find anything, which is uh, fascinating, really. The, I mean, the Halkett one's different because it was a, an impact uh, injury. A lot of them are impact injuries, yeah. But yeah, so when it's an impact injury, that's just bad luck. But I did wonder about that, like the, the number of injuries that they've had, not just this season, like over the past couple of seasons, suggests that there is something more to it than just, sure. just bad luck. I mean, the other thing is they've signed, not so much in Halkett's case, but a few players with like quite a bad injury record. So like the Naismith one... In hindsight, you know, was it wise to give him such a long contract given that in the first year of it? I mean, surely that's the only reason, the only way they could get him. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, that's the thing. And um, Berra had always been there for a number of years there uh, now, but you know, has had injury problems in the past. Um, so yeah, there's that. You, you've got to kind of do your research when you're signing players as well. I think Naismith gives a lot more else to Hearts, though. You know, just that he, winning mentality and just even he's already even basically a coach, a coaching ability. Yeah, but, but like I think it comes back to what JJ was talking earlier on about finance. And I know Hearts do spend a lot of money, particularly on on wages. But if you've got someone who when Naismith, who I would imagine is the highest earner at the club on the yeah. the playing side. Yes. Um, not just basically not able to play due to fitness problems. Are you better using that wage for three, four other players to improve your squad? Overall? It's so difficult though, isn't it? Because the way to compete, if you want to try and push for that second or third place, I mean, no one can get close to Celtic, I'd say, yeah. would well, be making the strongest first eleven you can. But you've got to put the budget somewhere. And like these managers' budgets cover everything. It's 
like if you've got like 50k 60k a week budget that's not just for player wages that's for signing on fees sure. like everything you've got put all in there yeah. we should talk about Kovanic absolutely we should um, you know, alright. performances are getting better under Angelo Alessio I think we can all be in agreement with that um, but they just you know they just can't find the net <laughs> because you know you get the, the best opportunity in the game against Ross County from the penalty spot Osman So pops up who I actually thought had a good game um, finding little pockets of space really good passing ability um, but misses from the spot the last penalty he took was against St Mirren in the relegation playoff which was the lowest scoring shootout in Scottish football history um, but how can they find the net? I Putting mean, the ball in there. I suppose. Don't, don't sign Osman So as your striker. <laughs> like, I'm sure. Like, again, maybe he's a good lad in the dressing room and everything, but he's not. But Eamon Crawley's not been doing it either. Yeah, but it's chance creation, surely. I mean, what do you need if the the way they're playing is? I think what they seem to set up first of all is to carry on the good work of Steve Clark and to try and keep it quite solid at the back. Uh, a lot of positional play. You can see they've got Dicker playing as a six. Although they've changed the, the shape they played against County was more of a, a two three one midfield. So they had El McCreaney, I think, playing yeah. as a bit of a ten. So that's changing up. So he's evolving a little bit, and I'm sure he'll have different styles of play that he can put in. They'll be you know deep defending and be able to play slightly higher up. But you need to have the ball in the opposition half and to keep it passing around to create chances. Unless you're a counter attack team, and they're not a counter attack team, they're a team who wants to try and play with the ball, and they're not players good enough to do it. I think it's two things. So one is what you're saying: they built on what what Clark was good at in terms of their shape and their organisation. Yeah. And you know, even though Kirk Broadfoot didn't like working on shape, um, you can clearly <laughs> see the difference that has made like six clean sheets in the last seven matches. But because they also want to have the ball I think they're far too conservative in possession it's not a case of they want to have the ball and play and play forward and play in the opposition's half yeah. I think they're very one of the reasons they've got six clean sheets is not just because they're defending well it's because when they've got the ball they're being very conservative with it they're basically defending with and, the ball yeah, and yeah. keeping the ball but not really hurting the opposition yeah. and that's maybe the thing that has to change a bit particularly in games like Ross County at home uh, last week or even now up against the heart side, which although they turned the corner a little bit with the the result against Hibs and then the Aberdeen Cup tie, and even I mean even getting a draw at St. Mirren last weekend, it's not a great result for Hearts, but at least they've stopped the rot a little bit. Scottish teams have a long and proud history of success in Europe. Celtic, champions in 67. Aberdeen, UEFA Cup winners in 83, beating Real Madrid in the final. And it'll continue this season with... Uh, oh, no, wait, Celtic are out after losing at home to, uh, Kluge. But thankfully, with Paddy Power's money-back specials, not all your mistakes cost you as much. Get money back as a free bet on football every week. See on site for the latest. Paddy Power, home of the money-back special. Selected markets only. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Scottish Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. 52 days after Cluj knocked Celtic out of the Champions League, the two sides met again in Glasgow in the Europa League group stage. Was it another seven-goal thriller? Kieran watched it for us. So Celtic 2, Cluj 0, a night for Celtic to exercise the demons of that night in August that cost them so much Champions League money. Uh, they won't get that back, but they did put themselves in a great position to qualify for the knockout stages of the Europa League. Victory, which takes them to the top of the group, with Lazio beating Rennes 2-1 tonight in the other game in the group. So Celtic 
um, a point clear of uh, both Lazio and Cluj with two games against Lazio to come, the first of which is at home, uh, so win that and they're in an excellent position. All in all, a pretty complete performance by Celtic. Uh, Lennon famously didn't play volleyball in goalie or Christopher Julian uh, when these sides last met in that 4-3 win for, for Cluj and tonight kind of underlined why that was an error. Um, Ball and goalie set up the opener for Odson Edouard to head in at the near post uh, and all in all looks like a far better player and more confident player than, than those nervous first few weeks as a Celtic player. It was also a big night for uh, Mohamed Elianusi who got his first Celtic goal uh, and his first goal at club level for 17 months. Another positive was big save from Fraser Foster just to keep it at 2-0. Um, the only time really that Cluj uh, threatened to come back in the game. And he's another uh, big difference between this Celtic side and the one that, that lost to Cluj last time out. Uh, has come back in and looked like the Foster that, that left Celtic a few years ago. So all in all, a good night for Celtic and they roll on to the weekend at Livingston. Thanks, Kieran. Great work. <laughs> Almost certainly wasn't. <laughs> uh, well, next up for the boys is a trip to the Tony Macaroni on Sunday with a midday kickoff. Four defeats in a row now for Livingston in all competitions. That's after they went the first five games of the season unbeaten. Inconsistent, but Livingston will be kind of happy well, with the way things are going. They were consistent before from. they started losing, so they actually are consistent in that they won and then they start losing. Yeah, they won't be happy <laughs> four defeats in a row, of course. No. Um, Livingston's next four games, Celtic obviously, then Kilmarnock away, Hearts at home, and then Hibs away. I can't quite work them out because they've done really well to get the start they have, but we saw like losing to Hamilton is the kind of team that they need to be beating or at least drawing with because that's the ones at the end of the season they're going to be up against I would have thought still but it's just Hamilton like Hamilton do this every year they just get those kind of games I know but even in the first half of that game like Livingston were much the better I mean, it wasn't a great game but Livingston were clearly the yeah. better team and it's, it's, and it's scrappy goals like the Hamilton so I mean Livingston's goal was a set piece as well but Hamilton's first goal was a throw in Stramash then a second or third ball that gets like shunted in the second goal well, the winning goal uh, for make it 2-1 was a, a penalty and you're like it's very scrappy, but Hamilton will find a way to get out of these holes. Mm. Such a weird team. <laughs> Coming back to Livingston, you're, you're talking about the next four games being Celtic and Monarch, Hearts and Hibs. I think it is important to point out in the four that they've lost, two of them were against Rangers and one was against Aberdeen. So, I mean, Hamilton is the only one for they've lost where they've been really disappointed sure. not to take something out of the game. Again, I'm going to say this every time, but early Sunday kickoff, Celtic after European game on a plastic pitch. Sure. I think this has a sort of banana skin written all over it for uh, for Celtic to be and honest. This, yeah, this, yeah. Is, this could potentially open the door for Rangers who kick off later on that day uh, to go top of the league if Celtic um, don't get all three points. And that's exactly what the SPFL wants, isn't it? <laughs> get your tinfoil hats <laughs> on. <laughs> uh, what do we think about Greg Taylor, folks? Because he's yet to feature for Celtic. And he's not even made the bench against Hibs. He wasn't on the bench against Cluj either. Well, in the same way that uh, we talked about the difference in level from jumping up from like Shanklin from Championship to Premiership, I think even the jump from training at Killy every day going to Celtic is going to be a, quite a big jump. Is this going to be the case of some similar to Ryan Christie? Maybe takes a year to actually reach that level. I think probably I mean, you see it all the time. You've got like another example would be like Greg Doherty at Rangers. Just never going to get near that team, but yet probably is good enough to be in the squad mm. and I'd like it if Greg Taylor turns out to be good enough but I think he was just a really good part of a strong unit 
So we'll see how he gets on. I mean, he'll he'll know now the level he's at and where he needs to be. So he's probably now just like working dead hard. I also think, like, I mean, at the time it seemed like a very convenient injury, but just before he left Kilmarnock, he missed at least one game, I think, maybe mm-hmm. two, with mm-hmm. uh, a slight hamstring thing, which at the time, I say, it seemed like, oh, he's just not playing because he's clearly going to be moving, but maybe he is just coming back from that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it could be a very similar game to the... Uh, Hamilton Celtic I think, think Livingston a little bit better than Hamilton but the Hamilton Celtic game a couple of weeks ago mm. and basically that was Celtic got an early goal so could relax into the game and were never really troubled And but still they won 1-0 because it's hard to play well, they're not used to sort of playing in those type of pitches and particularly being after a European game um, I know Celtic don't have to don't have to travel so it's a home game makes it a bit as in they're at home in Europe it makes it a bit easier but um, yeah I, I, I think Celtic probably just do it but I think it'll be tight I think it'll be like 1-0 maybe 2-1 I don't think they'll they'll rack up a score a tight affair at the Tony Macaroni Calander with a booming header back it comes mistake by Tavernier and it's Christian Fosnacht who wins the game for young boys it's gone through Alan McGregor heartbreak for Rangers in Bern on Thursday night Christian Fasnacht scoring a winner for young boys in the last minute of stoppage time in the second game of the Europa League group stage. Fastnack translates into English as Barrel Night. I was going to say, the uh, young boys fans will be downing a few barrels tonight on uh, Christian Fastnack. Morelos gave Rangers the lead uh, just before half-time and it was a pretty well-taken goal. I think Rangers can feel aggrieved about tonight, can't they? Definitely, I thought they were hard done by, yeah. I mean, definitely in terms of not getting the draw. I felt even at 1-1, because I wasn't really impressed by young boys uh, throughout the night. I know they've got a very good home record. Um, but I felt even at 1-1, the game was there for Rangers to go and win. Um, but you're doubly disappointing, as you say, to lose the game having gone ahead. Really good goal by Morelos. Mm-hmm. We're sitting here as like a classic Morelos goal, the way he shows that strength to hold off the defender. And then when he gets through and goal, finishes it very nicely. Um and he was like a constant threat all night. I think that would be a disappointing thing, I think, for Rangers, that the the chance was there to go and win this game. And if they, if they got Morelos into more good positions, I mean, they had a great chance at 1-1 where the, the keeper made a, a great save in the last minute. And they go from nearly winning the game one moment to then losing it. Well, well should Morelos have had a penalty, JJ? Uh, well, yes. <laughs> there's contact. There's contact. Ball comes contact. across. It's like he runs in behind him, catches his leg, takes him out. And I could see... If this, was a, if, this was a one-one, so a big moment. Yeah, but you can see you can see why it also wouldn't be a penalty. It should be a penalty, but you can see a referee's seen it and things just coming together. It's not a foul per se, even though he's definitely taken him out in the box. I mean, it's clearly a penalty, but maybe they would have missed. I mean, the, the way Rangers played anyway was, I think, good enough to have taken a point at least out of that. And it's a shame that uh, maybe it's experience or something like that at the end. But like the, the final goal, a little bit of defensive positioning's not quite there, and then Tavernier. He attacks the ball rather than just holding his position when he should have yeah, done. Yeah, so it's Davis goes to win the header and yeah. he misses it. Tavernier tries to cover for him, but he doesn't. No, Davis. Doesn't need I don't, to, I don't think Davis is doing anything. Davis is just sort of tracking, and he sees Tavernier's coming out, so he doesn't need to go for the ball. Mm. But if Tavernier stayed put, Davis would have then been in charge of getting the ball, and he would have had a, a line behind him to support. And the, the, the knock-on effect, because I think before that it was Halander who headed it, and so he was actually. It, it just changed the makeup of of the back four, whereas they were about Goldson had to come across, to side, didn't he? Yeah. So it's it's, it's it, a total one, sucker goal. I mean, one player position changes everything in the defence. Yeah, it's this is the sort of the the good and bad side of Tavernier that you see in terms of it's very good going forward, 
contributes a lot of goals, a lot of assists, but he's always had that those question marks defensively. Mm-hmm. And I feel like at this level, most obvious error is the winning goal, but he was actually at fault for the young boys' equaliser as well. Um, sort of losing possession very easily. Guy got in behind him. It's a poor pass, wasn't it? Good good cross across across the face of the box. Hellander's in a bit of a awkward position because if he gets anything on the ball, it could be an own goal. And the guy comes in behind him and, and finishes it well. But yeah, it actually sets up the group very nicely now because Feyenoord beat Porto yes. in the other game. Beat Porto 2-0. So all four teams are on, are on three points after two games. So it's a completely wide open group. And now they've got Porto and a double header. That, that is tough. I think actually the Feyenoord beating Porto isn't a great result for Rangers because you would think maybe Porto, based on reputation and European results over the past few years, um, would be the strongest team in the group and expect them to go on and top it. And then the other three teams, I say the other three teams fighting out for second place. What I've seen so far, I think it should be Feyenoord and Rangers. I don't think Young Boys are that great. Um, but it is, yeah, wide open and Rangers now have to go and get something in the in the two games against Porto. Rangers go into the Premiership weekend just a point behind Celtic as they prepare to host Hamilton. Hamilton came from behind to beat Livingston uh, last Saturday. Only the top three have taken more points than Hamilton in the last six games. They're actually... They will they are as die. They will not go away. <laughs> Hamilton How many not, years? Hamilton will not be humped. Hamilton are much more positive. They are very much in the mould of Brian Rice's character. It's weird. As a team like everyone thinks they're going to beat, every team will think they're going to beat Hamilton, and very few do. Even like Celtic, they came up against them, they scored the early one, then to kind of find it difficult because you're thinking, well, we'll probably score more. But they don't. And then Hamilton score one, then get a penalty. But that's not going to happen this weekend, though, do we? We don't think that, right? I mean... Rangers are going to think, well, maybe off the back of that, right, Aberdeen, so they absolutely pumped Aberdeen at the ground, destroyed them, but still it's Hamilton, so they'll be thinking, well, we'll definitely win this. Well, Brian, Rice, Brian Rice said that they're not going to be uh, tourists at Ibrox. That, if you're going from Hamilton and you're going to Glasgow on your holidays, <laughs> that would be a <laughs> holiday winter. for the latest odds with our man Lee Price at Paddy Power. As we mentioned, all four Hearts v Kilmarnock fixtures last season were won by the away side. Are we saying it's going to be another away win on Saturday? Now that is a great stat, albeit the kind of stat that appears to have eluded our traders because we make Hearts the favourite for this one. Perhaps their mini-revivals played a part too, but 7-5, the home team, win this fixture... With Kilmarnock 9 to 5, so not much longer in the odds, in fairness. The draw here is 21 to 10. It's two 0 0 draws in a row for St Mirren. Motherwell have been a great watch this season. Could it be 0 0 again, though? Yeah, Motherwell really have been great to watch this season. That kit is something else. Interesting on the 0 0, it's 8 to 1 that that's the scoreline here. We think it's more likely to be 1 0 to Motherwell, which is 5 to 1 in the betting, or 1 apiece, which is 11 to 2. As for the outright odds for the match, Motherwell are 8-11 to to win this, St Mirren 7-2, the draws 5-2. And finally, Lauren Shanklin has been doing what Lauren Shanklin does, scoring a shed load for Dundee United in the Championship. Will he get picked for Scotland against Russia and will he score? Yeah, this is exciting, isn't it? Uh, Scotland, the national team, without a striker that scores goals, now have a striker that scores a bucket load of goals. And we think he'll continue that form. It's odds on 5-6 to six that he scores in the forthcoming international break. 
And there's one very big reason for that. But we'll start with the Russia game. It's 11-2 Scotland win that, or 6-4 they emerge from that match without losing. And then it comes to the reason we're odds on that Shanklin scores. San Marino, it's 1-100 to that Scotland win that game. Surely, surely they will. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven and JJ Bull. The overwhelming favourites to win League One before a ball was kicked were Falkirk, but it's actually Rafe Rovers who are setting the pace. Top of the table after eight games, so we're joined now by Matt Elder, sports editor of the Fife Free Press. John McGlynn is the man in charge at Starts Park, not John McGinn. Uh, he almost took them to the Premiership in the first spell in charge. How far can he take them this time, Matt? Um, yeah, it'd be great if he could do the same again second time around. Um, he certainly made a good start to this season. Um, he's been in charge now second spell for a year. Mm-hmm. And I would say the, the progress, there's certainly progress being made since the, the first day he walked through the door. Um, wasn't so evident throughout last season, I would say. I think Wraith struggled and maybe some fans over the summer were maybe questioning the decision to bring John back. For a second time, um, but the start to this season has certainly got everyone back on board again, and um, yeah, it's looking like there's a a possible title race on. How do Wraith Rovers like to play? Because um, you know, a team that's averaging two and a half goals a game must be pretty exciting. <laughs> it's it's borderline all out attack. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, John's it's, it's different from his first time around, from where the sort of emphasis really seemed to be on defence and being hard to break down, difficult to beat. He's obviously been around since then, uh, had a couple of different jobs, worked under Brendan Rodgers at Celtic, mm-hmm. and he's came back and he's, he's, he's obviously picked up some things, from certainly from Brendan Rodgers, and the way he's, his uh, training's revolved around a possession-based game. Um, Wraith dominate the ball in most games they play, and of course, if you've got the ball, um, the chances are you're going to create chances and score goals, and that's exactly what Wraith are doing, playing attractive football. And uh, the problem they've had is keeping the back door closed and they're now starting to solve that issue so that's why they're now winning more games Do you think Wraith are good like pushing for this title title race or do you think there's a chance they may kind of average out because you know Falkirk would be the the favourite to finish top of that division and they're only sitting three points below but if uh, Wraith are doing well now do you think there'll be a point where maybe if a couple of results don't go their way they lose momentum and then that enjoyable style of football might have to be shunted out the way to something more resilient? Yeah yes uh, Certainly, that was what happened last season. Wraith, Wraith had good spells and then fell away. Um, and that was the frustration last season. This season, there seems to be a bit more steeliness, a bit more resilience about the squad. Um, certainly, the last couple of away games have shown that, going to difficult places like Adrian Forfer and picking up back-to-back wins. I think that says a lot. They never did that at all last season. They never won back-to-back away games. They barely won away games. So that's, that's a big statement Wraith have made in the last couple of weeks. Um, they've also... I think what they've got this season compared to last is a bit more depth in the squad. I think they've maybe realised their mistake from last season when they started the season far, far, far under-resourced and never really managed to get to get themselves back up to a reasonable amount of strength to maintain a title push. This season they started off with twenty, a squad of 21, which they got in place for day one. They've now added to that in the last few weeks um, with some really good signings, actually. Um, and I think that's given them a bit of depth that they might need to get to get through the season and to maintain a challenge with Falkirk. Speaking of needing the depth, the top scorer at the moment is Grant Anderson, who uh, rejoined the club in, this, in summer. He's 33 years old. Can he still bang in the goals all season long, do you think? Grant's been a revelation in his, in his, uh, his return. Um, 
again, that was maybe a sign that some fans maybe questioned over the summer. He was a player that Wraith kind of got rid of um, at the end of his last spell, didn't, didn't renew his contract. And there had been a sort of part-time team since then, uh, Stranraer last year. But John McGlynn saw something in him last year. Stranraer actually played him up front for a few games. One of them was against Wraith. And John thought that he'd impressed um, with his sort of his movement. Um, and yeah, he's he's been playing centre-forward uh, most of his games. And he's definitely been a goal threat. He he's, uh, certainly knows where the goal is. Like I say, his movement's been excellent. His work rate is, is up there with anyone's. Uh, and for 33 years old, he's, he's one of the fittest 33 year olds I've ever seen. He'll be one they'll rely on, yeah. And 33 is not old either, so. No, don't worry about Kieran. We should mention. That's because I'm 33. We should mention, as we always do, obviously, uh, 24 years ago this month, Wraith Rovers were playing Bayern Munich in the UEFA Cup, and they didn't lose, unlike Spurs, 7 2 that time. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, that was an, an incredible time to be a Wraith supporter. I was just a very young boy at that time, I think 12 or 13, so my memories are of watching the German TV channel Sat 1, I think it was, for their way leg. Sitting in the right, actually, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, with, uh, I think it was the BBC Radio Scotland commentary on. It'd be great if we get back to those days, eh? I think they're a fair a fair way off, though. But, um, <laughs> but for I think it's worth mentioning that actually the Wraith Rovers aggregate score that season against Bayern which I think was 4-1, was the best aggregate score of any team in Europe. And Bayern got all the way to the final and won it. And uh, I think they, I think they may have beat Nottingham Forest by 7 or 8-1 in, in the round that, afterwards. So. Love that. So, yeah, that's a wee bit of uh, another reclaim to fame for Ray. Scott Tanzer. Gillespie's equal to it. Motherwell moved back up into the top three with victory at St Johnston last Saturday. Thanks in large part to the man who joins us now. It's Steelman stopper Mark Gillespie. Mark, you saved that penalty from Scott Tanser in Perth. You saved four penalties last season. What work goes into that? Much research going on? Um, yeah, there's a there's a little bit. Uh, Got to give credit to the um, the analyst uh, Roscoe at Motherwell, who does a little bit of background research and things like that. But then it's left up to me, really, just to um, how I feel on the on the day and the run up and things like that. So obviously, not wanting to give too much away. To be fair, obviously, it's working so far. I've got a, um, a decent record, and obviously, it's always a lot better when it uh, leads to a to a result, which uh, which happened on the on the weekend. Are you enjoying playing just now with the way that Robinson has a team set up? Because we've noticed that it's really nice to watch this season, whereas in the past maybe it hasn't been, not really harsh, but maybe not quite as nice. It was quite uh, long balls and stuff. Do you feel it's it's better being a goalkeeper behind a team that's more closed up like you were before, or is it? do you quite enjoy getting more shots maybe coming through in goal if your team's also scoring more? Um, I think whatever's successful for the players that you've got, I think... Obviously, you just want to be part of a winning team. Obviously, as a goalkeeper, you, you don't want to be conceding goals. You know, you want to be keeping clean sheets, um, which gives yourself confidence. I think we've got the mix about right. I think roughly around the time I came in the team last season, obviously, you know, the likes of David Turmo was emerging. And, you know, we did start to, to try and play football a little bit more as opposed to, you know, going long. And obviously, the manager takes massive credit for that. But I think we still mix it up. You know, we're not one of these teams that just want to play football and don't want to do the other side of the game. I think that's vital, you know, in this league. You need to be able to do both. And I think at the start of the season, we maybe got caught up a little bit in, you know, just what we were about on the ball. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I think in recent weeks, you know, we've got the mix about right. Um, we're still a tough side to play against. You know, if you look at the, the lads at the back four, you know, Hartley, Gallagher, proper proper defenders and who can play as well. So um, it's enjoyable to play them when you're winning games and, and that's obviously that's happening at the moment. So um, it's obviously something that we want to continue. You say that, you're, you're third in the league at the moment. What's the, the realistic ambitions for this season? Is it still just staying in the top six or are you, you aiming even higher than that? Yeah, I think obviously first and foremost the last two seasons, you know, the club just missed out on the top six. So yeah, that is our main goal. But I think there's no reason why we can't, you know, keep pushing on um and you know, aim aim as high as we can. I think to be fair, if you look at the, the results over the you know, I th- I think I seen something over the calendar yeah, a couple of weeks ago. I think we were third in terms of the points gained that, you know, in, in twenty nineteen. I'm not sure that's still the case. I think that was a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, it's just it's it's a sustained period of form and that's with a, a change in personnel over the summer as well. So we're all really pleased, but obviously, you know, football changes so quickly. We were obviously disappointing in terms of the result against against Ross County. So that brought us back to, down to earth. We then reacted with a win. So I think it's a massive game on Saturday. It's, it's a game against a side near the, the the lower end of the table. And it's a game that people might from the outside look in and, and expect us to win. But, you know, we know it's not going to be that easy. We've got to, you know, approach it properly, which we will. And, um, and hopefully we can just carry on and, and keep ambitions high. But, you know, at the same time, it's, it's obviously a long season. Yeah, um, Mark, we had to apologise to Motherwell fans because we gave you, uh, the Motherwell team, a, a, a big write-up. We we gave you the knees up saying you're the most exciting team so far in the season and then you went on to lose. But there's so many plaudits about the team right now and a lot of credit maybe has to go to the manager, Stephen Robinson. How do you rate him as a manager? Because he's he was in, in the news this week, you know, talking about, you know, hopefully... Uh, looking to manage at the top level uh, and was asked about the Northern Ireland job. What do you think of him as a manager? No, he's right up there. He's probably, you know, the best manager I've worked with, certainly in terms of, you know, the detail we go into, um, the you know, the intensity of training, you know, everyone's bought into to what he's doing, the improvement in the players in terms of, you know, the young lads in the squad, like the mix is good. So, you know, it's really enjoyable um, club to play for and, and that comes from the top and um, he's done really well. In terms of, of where we're at the moment, so it's it's enjoyable, and that's the that the whole staff. I think he'd be the first to say he's got a, a backroom team. You know that I really get on really well with the goalie coach, who's done really really good stuff with me. Mm-hmm. The fitness coach um, does his stuff in the gym and, and has us working hard, and and obviously Laz is there as well, who contributes. So I think as a whole, you know, the club have got something going at the moment, and obviously the results are showing that. So um, long may it continue. Speaking of your goalie coach, has training been uh, slightly more fun or enjoyable now you don't have to worry about Curtis May and Ryan Bowman battering into you from crosses? <laughs> um, I think it's just been more enjoyable because um, we're winning games, to be fair. I wouldn't go that far. Um, no, they were good you lads as well. You have to say well. that, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, to be fair, the problem with May is he just smashed the ball as hard as he could every time he got it. But... Um, <laughs> Chris Long's a bit like that as well, so we've just brought in one for, for the other. But um, no, um, training's competitive. It's you know on a Friday we'll we'll have a small side of games and uh, there's no love lost going in. You know, all of the young and all that sort of stuff. So it's a really good environment to to work in, and um, uh, we'll obviously be right for for the weekend. I- 
difficult game, you could say, coming up up against St Mirren for Motherwell because, as we know, St Mirren don't concede many. I think they're the third best defence in the division. But they're also pretty poor up front. So it could be a tight one, this, potentially. Mark can probably sit with his feet up for like 90 minutes. I don't, I don't imagine <laughs> uh, St Mirren are going to force them into many saves. Although it's insane that um, I was listening to Jim Goodwin's interview after the game last weekend, and he was he was very much aware of the fact that yes, it's good they've got that solid base to build on, but they really need to to start scoring goals now. Going to Motherwell was a difficult game for them, but you know when you're not playing one of the top two, you've got to try and uh, take as many points as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think it'd be a good test for Motherwell actually in the what we've just been talking about this of. New model, if you want to call it like that, that that do like to play more football. Um, are they capable of you know breaking down a team like St. Mirren who are going to go there, defend, defend deep, defend the numbers? Well, that's who would exactly imagine? it. Because then the problem is that you have to open up to play against those sort of teams and, and stretch the pitch more. But then you leave yourself open uh, to counterattacks, which is exactly what St. Mirren want. Mm-hmm. And I, I, like although they've got like statistically the third best defense, whatever whatever it is it's third best, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that means they have actually the third best defence in the league. I guess it's the result of when you sit back, teams in Scotland especially struggle to break them down because it's very difficult and the players who are able to do that cost so much money that they only tend to play for one of two teams in that division. Of course. But this is this is a St Mirren side, as we've said, that that just canny, canny by a goal. Seven shots against Hearts. Um, and there was zero on target. They've scored three in the Premiership all season. Ones, though, that's um, maybe Motherwell will keep on moving. Maybe St Mirren might keep on being stuffy. As we mentioned, St Johnston beaten 1-0 at home by Motherwell last weekend. They're the only Premiership team yet to win after seven games. Rock bottom, it's looking grim for manager Tommy Wright. Only one goal in the last four games. Pine Bovril tweeted, a squad that boasts the likes of May, O'Halloran, Kennedy, Swanson and Wright should not be struggling so badly to score goals. I kind of said something quite similar in the last podcast. Um, this squad oh, should be Oh, so you're as good as him, better. are you? <laughs> yeah, but I like Pies and Bovril a lot more than my own analysis. <laughs> we like goals. <laughs> yeah. Well, why is this team doing so badly? Uh, is it just bad luck? I mean, there's... <laughs> The players aren't amazing, right? Well, they, they're better than what they're achieving at the moment. Are they? But then Steve, like Stevie May... I, oh, God, I keep saying this. I wish he was good, but he's not. <laughs> like, he's not. Lawrence Shanklin is a better option as a championship player, by far, than Stevie May. Stevie May works really hard, runs around heaps. You want him in your Sunday League team, 100%. In, in Highland League, he'd be ripping it up. League 2, he'd probably do well. I don't know if he's just got goals in him. But at this like top level, championship, maybe championship's level. I don't know what's happened to him. It's to do injuries, he's lost a bit. It could be confidence. Probably people like idiots like me slagging him off. Like I really <laughs> want him to be good. Um but it's not happening for him. Maybe it'll all come together and confidence will feed in. But that's so important at that elite level of football. Because you don't have the confidence and you can't do things that you'd normally do. You wouldn't hit shots you'd normally take on. You wouldn't try to like take a man on one v one that you'd normally take on. Sure, but know? sometimes sometimes it's just um, you know, discipline and and what what have you been asked to do from the training grounds on the actual you know match day? You know, Stevie May, when he first came onto the scene, was scoring for fun. He was such an exciting young player. Yeah, like ten but, years but, ago. But, but but then you then you start playing under different regimes and different sort of you know tactics, and now he just doesn't have that. He just doesn't carry the ball anymore. It's, it, he got an injury when he was at Preston. That was it. He had, he had one at St. Johnson and he had another when he was at Preston, and that sort of. Done his career, and 
And it, like at Aberdeen, he was uh, like a defensive forward. That's what he was. He would never really get in goal-scoring positions. He was a player who did a job, did a shift really well, but didn't have enough to him. So that's what they're going with up front just now. Uh, the rest of the team is okay, but because results aren't going well, they've got no momentum. And the sort of team that Wright puts together has to have that kind of, uh, I don't I think the word is momentum, that they're together and believe they can get results from somewhere. I almost wonder as well, it's a, we're talking about them, them not scoring goals, but a right team tends to have to be good defensively and yeah. have that solid base to work from and then having that then you just need I don't know it sounds obvious but you just need one goal to win a game and then you get on a bit of a roll you know you win, you win 1-0 with a goal from a corner or something mm-hmm. or even like last week when they missed a penalty you know, there's certain things I think it's a combination of both it's not just bad luck as you were saying earlier on but I think there's probably an element of that and they get you know in the same way that winning becomes a habit losing becomes a habit and they just need to sort of break out of that uh, they were close against Motherwell, right? I mean, the goal was a corner, um, scrappy, and it just drops to Devante Cole as he slots in for two yards. And had they got that nil-nil, you'd think, right, that's a good base. That's a good team who just managed to get a point off and you can build from there. But they just need to get... They need a, a, a really scrappy, like, gross kind of nil-nil, one-nil win just to get something on the board. And then they can go, look, guys, you're better players than you think you are. Let's go from here and take it up. Let's look at Ross County. Unbeaten in three games now. They're sitting in fifth. Um it's a pretty impressive start so far, I would say. Definitely, they've had a bit of a weird start. I've said this before. They had a really good first couple of games, then had two hammerings, and then kind of got up back on course with the the one at Motherwell. Although that was a bit fortunate in terms of Motherwell were one 0 up and very much the dominant side, and then went down to ten men. And to be fair to them, Ross County made the most of the man advantage. Again, if if they can win this game then that it's almost getting to the stage of um, Livingston last season where they gave themselves such a great early cushion from the relegation zone um, that they were never really in, in trouble well if and results go their way they could be third but Ross County like, and the thing is they're good for it as well their XG is a 9.53 this is Wisecout which is, yeah. so I don't know if their model is exactly on right? But Ross County are 9.53 XG their actual goals they've scored are 8 so they're actually underperforming where they should be and that puts them fourth in the league below Motherwell, Celtic and Rangers. So they're getting plenty of chances. Uh, yeah, and goals against, they are sitting, I think it's a uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, like six in the table roughly for goals uh, goals against XG, which is a uh, 9.53. They should basically be drawing every game. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how they should get on. So they'll win some, they'll lose some. The underlying stats say that they should be sitting mid-table. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what they're doing. So they'll win some, lose some. I think it's kind of one, if you were to bet... Don't ever put Ross County on your coupon. Well, you could you could argue that St Johnston's best results so far in the campaign have came away from home. So two of the three draws in the Premiership this season have come away from home. Who knows what's going to happen here? I'm going to stump for Ross County. I think they're going to keep going from strength to strength. But we have to um, end the podcast on a bit of a sad note um, because Ross County's Highland rivals Inverness, Caledonian Thistle are reportedly facing administration have you seen this? Have you heard of yes it? um, it's not sad yet if, yeah. if it goes through that's terrible but it looks like they're in real trouble at the moment so yeah the, the Daily Mail um, reported it uh, that the club are losing £800,000 a year in the championship and the chairman and director both quit the club last week there's a meeting happening tonight um, after we record this podcast, we record like Thursday night, um, where it's understood shareholders will be asked to dip into their pockets in a fairly large way. Um, I mean, eight hundred grand for 
a Scottish Championship club is per year an, an awful lot of money. Huge. I mean, that their their playing budget must be enormous, and they've. This is the problem that people ask, well, you should just risk it and try and go for the higher. Well, this is what happens, because if you don't make it, you're lumbered with these kind of massive bills. I know there is more money in the Premiership, but it's not like... So you get this a lot. I've done a few stories on the English Championship and like the massive amounts of debt that, cl- that clubs there have, like much more than this, but they're chasing the dream of the £100 million sure. TV contract. It's not like you get to the Scottish Premiership and there's you know tens of millions to be <laughs> yes. gained from that. If you're losing 800000 in the Championship given bonuses and slightly higher wages and stuff like that, you're almost certainly going to be losing money in the Premiership as well. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I think the, the, the amount you win for the whole league, I think something between two or three million, I think yeah, is exactly. all you get. You're right. The money's just not there. And you do wonder why a lot of clubs don't live within their means. As much as the pressure from fans to produce on the pitch and produce results um, are always heavy. Well, Cali have had this for, coming for a while. Like, I don't know how you, how you phrase this. Like The murmurs were that some people at the club thought this might have been coming for quite some time now. Wow. Um, thought that Cali would be bottom division and go down before they did. So they kind of had some sort... I mean, I'm not seeing anyone at the club now who said this, but this is noises that were around it. Also, like their gate is tiny, maybe like two, 3,000 they get a week. And a lot of fans... The problem they had, because when they merged the two clubs back in the day, a lot of the fans who supported one or two just it couldn't really form them together and get them to come together. So the clubs sort of struggled to get people back in. And it's probably not also that fun having to go and stand in a stadium next to the North Sea in like a wide open. <laughs> it is undoubtedly, I was going to say the coldest stadium in Scottish football. It has to be the coldest stadium in the world. <laughs> I, mean, I don't care about the ones in like the Arctic Circle or anything. It is always freezing. Yeah, that wind's coming flying at you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, You'd hope that the fans sort this out, but that that uh, eight hundred thousand pound a year they're losing is astonishing it's, it's, money. It's really sad when you you know you look at what this club's gone through. A lot of highs, a lot of highs, considering they were only founded in nineteen ninety four. So who who knows? Fingers crossed, um, we don't lose another club. Super Cali go ballistic. The accounting is atrocious. Oh well, that's all we've got time for. Thank you, JJ. Thanks, Kieran. And thanks to Little Kicks for our fabulous little theme song. And thanks to you for listening. We do appreciate it. We'll be back next Friday reacting to Scotland's trip to Russia. Great! You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. <laughs>